Hi there. Thank you for listening to Spotless, breaking the boundaries of television. The world of TV and advertising is evolving quickly. The largest content creators, distributors, and brands are all vying for new ways to engage the next generation of viewers. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. Consumer behaviors of the next two years will decide the winners and losers of the next two decades. Now here's our host, Michael Shields, GM of Advanced Advertising at Triple Lift. Jeff Imberman is a recognized leader in the advertising sales industry with more than 20 years of experience in brand building, sales management, and infrastructure at emerging and mature media companies. Currently, Jeff serves as the head of sales and brand partnerships at Tastemade, a modern media company whose award-winning lifestyle programming commands a global audience of more than 250 million across the most relevant digital, social, and streaming platforms. Prior to joining Tastemade, Jeff served as the first chief revenue officer at Super Awesome, where he spearheaded the company's growing U.S. commercial team to form industry-leading partnerships in the kids' digital media space. Prior to Super Awesome, Jeff was the SVP of sales and marketing at Nickelodeon and Nick at Night, where he led revenue strategy for North America's largest agencies and kids' brands, and was responsible for driving over $300 million in advertising revenue across digital, mobile, and TV platforms. Jeff's experience also includes management and sales roles at CMT, Current Media, Speed Vision, Turner Broadcasting, and E. Wow, Jeff, it's great to have you here. It is really unique amongst the guests that we've had so far and some that we're planning on bringing to the podcast that you've spent a tremendous amount of time at both large institutions and highly established brands, places like Viacom. Um, and then I've had the opportunity to build brands uh, from an early stage. And certainly what you're doing right now at Tastemade, I find fascinating. How would you describe the, the distinction between those two different experiences? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Michael. Um, it, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and thank you for making me feel old and talking about my vast experience. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. And thank you for asking the question. Um, you know, when, when you span a, a career like I've had, um, the length of career, I've kind of seen it all. It's really interesting. You know, when I started in the business um, out of college at Turner Broadcasting, Cable was still in its infancy. Um, you know, you had many media buyers talking about cable not lasting. You know, this was just a fad. It was never going to work. You know, niche cable. Why do you need a cable that devoted to sports? Why do you need a cable network devoted to news? Um, and I jumped from there to E. And, and E at that time wasn't owned by NBC. It was in 24 million homes. Um, we had just launched Howard Stern's radio show. So we literally went into the studio and filmed his radio show and made it into a television show. Um, and that was our calling card. Um, but, you know, I've seen kind of this really interesting you know, evolution um, between legacy media companies, emerging new brands in the television space, digital media codes. Um, and there was a lot of shared DNA. You know, that's the irony is that the medium changes, but the DNA stays the same, which is to entertain you know, users, consumers, whatever you want to call them. 
I learned a long time ago, and I think it was Ted Turner, when I when Ted still owned Turner Broadcasting, now Warner Media, he used to say content is king. And it and it really is. It's all about engaging audiences despite the medium that you're serving that content on. I think I want to talk about that evolution a little bit because over the last 20, 25 years, you and I both have seen this working within a network, right? The evolution of the networks beyond broadcast and into cable that you alluded to before. And then the emergence of digital platforms, right? I think you and I were both at Viacom back in the day when they were even going to spin out their dot-coms as MTVI, right? Um, and create separate platforms for this is the early 2000s. And then obviously they brought those, those properties back in-house. But ultimately, the network's really struggled, I think, to develop a corresponding amount of digital ad sales revenue compared to linear platforms, right? If we look across some of the major media companies, uh, major television companies, maybe 8 to 14% of revenues are kind of like digital right now, while consumption can be as high as 40% of the traditional content, but on digital platforms, either TV e-apps or through streaming platforms. Now, of course, all of those big players are investing in streaming platforms of their own or direct-to-consumer businesses. I wonder if you might give us your assessment, particularly as a content provider in your current role at Tastemade, to services like Peacock and some of the other emerging direct-to-consumer services. I'd love to get your perspective on the streaming wars and whether you think we're going to have lots of different services out there. Are the traditional media companies doing a good job with some of these new services? Uh, it's a great question, and, and it's fascinating to watch the whole thing unfold. And it does remind me, by the way, of the early days of cable, when you had this upstart kind of consumer engagement kind of opportunity um, emerging and how traditional companies were going to handle that transition, um, let alone new you know, players in the space, whether it be guys like Zumo or, or Philo and services like that. Um, you know, I think that for, for a programmer or a modern media company like Tastemade, I mean, we have a singular goal, and that's to follow the consumer wherever that consumer wants us to be. We don't dictate where they go. They dictate where we go. Um, so, you know, whether it be creating a great home on Facebook for our content and our lifestyle brand or following that consumer to YouTube TV where we've launched our streaming network, our goal is always just to follow the consumer. But if you're, if you're asking me about that kind of war that's going on now, um, I, I think the fast services, you know, the free advertiser-supported services are really where a lot of compelling work is happening. So whether it be Peacock or Samsung Plus um, or Zumo for that matter or, or Roku, um, I, I think that you're going to see those guys emerge in, in a really healthy position. Um, because of the fact that the barrier to entry is very low. You're not asking them to pay $40, $50, or $60 a month. The content um, is, let's say, plentiful. Um, so the experiences are there for consumers. Um, but I think most importantly, um, the barriers are not there. When you build barriers for the consumer, you're, you're really going to have a hard time you know, generating that interest and that growth. 
this is a profound point to me because ultimately the original TV, the original boob tube experience, if you will, with television was very much a lean back experience, right? We talk about channel surfing and sitting there endlessly with the remote going after one channel to the next. The uh, uh, distributors themselves used to compete on the basis of we have 400 channels, we have 500 channels, right? Particularly after cable matured. Um, so that lean back experience has always been something that's associated with television, right? But the emerging surface, uh, uh, services, certainly the disruptive ones in Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu, um, but some of the direct-to-consumer services that are launching now as well have an emphasis on VOD. Tastemade has been one of these program programmers in Roku Channel or Samsung Plus you have VOD content for sure, and people are going and looking at episodes of Make This Tonight to figure out uh, what to make for dinner, for sure. But there's also a tremendous lean-back experience in places like the Roku channel and Samsung Plus. When you talk about, when your programmers are thinking about strategically where you should be positioned with consumers, how do you think about that distinction between VOD and that traditional lean-back, 24-hour linear channel experience that you're providing on Pluto TV and Samsung Plus and Roku and other destinations? Well, I, I think the distinction is exactly how you described it, which is the consumer benefits, let's call it, you know, what the consumer's expectations are of that experience, right? And as a programmer, it's our job to entertain them wherever they are, regardless of the experience or the platform that they're on. So Roku's a perfect example. Um, on the Roku channel, we have our streaming service, 24 hours a day, beautifully programmed with, with m a lot of thought put into that user flow, that programming flow, very much um, like any other television network you would watch in that conceit, right? We're programming it, thinking about when Michael is going to come watch us and what he wants to see at 3 p.m. versus 8 p.m. versus Saturday or Sunday. VOD is a lean-in experience. So you're going to program that really according to what you think the most high-gain opportunity is for that viewer, meaning um, if it's Make This Tonight, which is our, one of our most programmed nightly shows, or something like Struggle Meals, which is our most viewed show across all of our platforms, we're going to give that user, that viewer, an opportunity to sample the best that we have in that VOD-specific environment versus giving them a whole library, which would be unruly for them. You have to curate it differently. Do advertising clients think about your advertising opportunity and content in one place in that linear channel different than they do the VOD experience? Um, I think they do. I think they do. Um, I, and I would say this, you know, the, Right now, we're having a moment, a really important moment, as it relates to OTT and streaming networks like ours. Um, I think that with cord cutting being as prevalent as ever, um, you're looking, advertisers, brands are looking for analogous kind of experiences, you know, similar experiences to what they're accustomed to, whether they're buying a Bravo or an NBC or a CBS. Um, they're looking to follow the consumer, but they want to follow them, I think, into very similar experiences, that lean back, 24-hour, beautiful, big screen experience that's curated professionally by a programming team, as opposed to the consumer just being able to opt in any way they want. With that said, 
they're equally as valuable because it all comes down to engagement and and brands and marketers they want to build meaningful relationships with the consumer in any way they can so it's it get it's really similar to the way that we kind of go after our consumer um it's it's following that end consumer user viewer whatever you want to call them they're the same person um and making sure that you're engaging them on their terms marketers feel the same way how important is the data analysis within tastemade ultimately i think of the you've been with tastemade just under 3 years now right and during that time period we've seen a lot of former digital media companies and i might put tastemade kind of in that bucket with like a lot of lifestyle brands that really grew up as digital media brands pop sugar vice right um, uh, that had a specific lifestyle focus a lot of those digital media companies are now really evolving to be studios and programmers. I have a personal bias for our guest today that I think far and away Tastemade has uh, uh, really exemplified that evolution. Ultimately, a lot of the things that we looked at when we were building digital media uh, uh, experiences and companies in the past was a very data-driven approach to understanding what consumers wanted in real time, serving up that content, designing content on the basis of trends. How much is that that DNA carried over into now being an OTT programmer? It's at the heart of everything we do, Michael. Um, and thank you for pointing that out because I think that's what sets us apart and that's what distinguishes um, being a modern media company versus a legacy media company. Modern media companies like Tastemade, who grew up in the digital social world, are reliant on those data points to build engagement with their viewer and their user. Like the, the whole premise of what we do is based on understanding what our audience's needs are. And that was born out of the ability in social and digital worlds to call that meaningful information in real time, not not through Nielsen and overnights and not having to wait a week or a month for a, a data company to tell us what's happening. It was every day we could post something at this moment and immediately know whether an engagement was made, whether an audience loved it, hated it. We could tell by their comments. And that allowed us to iterate and continues to allow us to iterate in real time. Um, that's fascinating. That is so different than a legacy media world where you build a pilot. They still have pilot season, Michael. You build a pilot, you test a pilot, you know, a bunch of people give you a good write-up in your, you know, focus group in Las Vegas. And then, you know, you pitch your wares to the ad community, you launch a show, and you hope it does a decent rating. That, that's, their pilot season is every day, every moment in the social digital world. We do it literally every single day. So I want to talk about that specific relationship for, for Tastemade in just a sec. But that makes me think of ultimately this data-driven approach to programming and the resulting benefit of how you're always serving fresh content to audiences has enabled you to attend, like on a programming side, essentially grab eyeballs and time spent from, let's say, cooking programming in traditional channels that Condé Nast or Fox or NBC might provide. So you've ultimately grabbed a lot of eyeballs from that. And then the, that's been a, a resulting kind of like gain and share on, on the advertising side. However, um, 
your programming ends up on the Comcast X1 box. It's now on IMDb TV. What is your relationship? How is that relationship now evolving with the networks? And what do you think your future relationship is with them? With the networks or the platforms? I think with the networks is what I'm curious about. Like, are we going to start seeing taste-made content being produced for the traditional networks? Very possible. Um, Very possible. I I don't want to talk prematurely about things that we're working on, but we, we have a robust pipeline of programs that are in development for major broadcast services as we speak um, that we're really excited about. Um, And it is, it is validation of the brand that we ourselves have built, you know, over the past, you know, years since our inception um, and it speaks to the quality of audience that we've actually been able to build as well, you know, because without a brand, you have no audience. And let's not forget, you know, f- for me, the differentiation of, of working at a tastemate versus certain other companies that were born out of the digital era is that we ourselves are a brand. Like people have, we have a covenant with our user and our viewer. When they see us in their feed every day or they tune into our streaming network, there's an expectation of the kind of program that we're going to deliver to them, the quality, the utility, um, all of those things. There's an expectation. Um, and we benefited from that um, in every possible way, as has the user, because we deliver on that promise every day to them. But now we're leveraging that in working with, to your point, maybe traditional media companies who look at us saying, wow, they really understand how to program and build beautiful, you know, immersive, engaging content for this new generation of viewer user, um, we should be working with Tastemade. Uh, And we're really excited about that part of our business moving forward. So let's talk about the importance of that evolution. Is it driven by, right now I watch Tastemade through my IG feed, right? I watch Tastemade on the Roku channel. I launched the Tastemade app and increasingly I watch shows like uh, Struggle Meals and Make This Tonight, instructional cooking shows, but then also Funky, right? Uh, Which I thought was an absolutely amazing behind the scenes look at a celebrity chef and, and really the culture of cooking, right? So when you think about the evolution of how you engage your audiences, obviously you're everywhere. You're 250 million people globally you're reaching, right? And you're, you have a significant presence across all of those channels, YouTube to Instagram to the Roku channel. Um, but now also you're, you're evolving from things like Kitchen Little and Make This Tonight to uh, shows like Funky. Is there a further diversification of the kind of content that you're offering? Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned um, something like Funky, which, is, which was our first feature-length documentary, um, which was as beautiful, as immersive, as uh, incredible as any food documentary that's been made in the past five years, um, and award-winning, by the way. Um, but that is the perfect example of how we as a company are flexing new narrative powers, let's call it as it relates to new platforms. So having a streaming network allows us to think differently about the narratives, the storytelling that we you know, are building for our users because we're no longer just hemmed in by a social platform's kind of rules and regs about the type of content, the length of content. So now we can stretch 
and build new muscles. So building 22 minute long shows or hour long shows or feature length documentaries, it changes how we think as programmers, let alone content creators. But food and cooking always at the center of it. And home and design. And home and design. Correct. Um, inclu- including even when you look at things like travel. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that helps you essentially get when you use food and cooking and home and design at the center of that content concept, but you can stretch into these areas and tell different kinds of stories at different lengths to different yeah. audiences. And you yeah. control more of that like 24 hours uh, 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 that consumers give us for viewing. Uh, I think, I think one, other, one other example, by the way, that, that comes to mind, and, and you asked about kind of the narratives and, and Funky being an example of something more serious, let's call it, um, versus a struggle meals, which has a million viewers every week across all of our platforms, um, or Kitchen Little, which is this like, amazing like, hit around the world for us, but, but very lighthearted in its tonality. Um, you may have seen our show with Roy Choi, Broken Bread, um, which was also um, nominated for multiple awards. Um, that was a, a, a very, very serious look at f- how food is impacting communities you know, all around America. And it wasn't about Roy Choi's food empire and the amazing chef he was. It was about the amazing human being he is and how he's using his powers as this like incredible businessman and chef to now impact the food chain in, in communities in meaningful ways. That was a very gritty series for us. It was, it was unlike anything we had ever produced. Um, and it was really meaningful in new and different ways. And I think that was our first foray into thinking, hey, we, we can tell very different kinds of stories within that lifestyle vertical of food, travel, or home and design. That's a great example. And Broken Bread truly is an uh, amazing series. Um, is there anything that you can talk about today that we, we see coming around the corner that you're excited about? Um, nothing that I can preview. There are a bunch of things, actually, that are coming back, um, one of which I may have just spoken about. I can't let the, the cat out of the bag there. Um, but I think what you'll see is us continue to stretch the boundaries of what our audience expects of us. You won't see us go out of the vertical of you know, lifestyle, but you'll see us continue to flex new muscles as it relates to the narrative. Um, you know, there's, there's an example um, I would use, um, and, and we, we might want to talk about this in a different kind of area, but we just produced a, a series for Hyundai, um, and it was a branded series, and the storytelling was incredibly impactful um, and worthwhile. So, you know, that's an example of us stretching for clients, not only for editorial purposes. Branded content has always been kind of at the heart of, of Taste Made Sale, being a taste purveyor, right, and a creator of content. Um, certainly, that means that you're you can, can you can uh, transfer that expertise to brands like Hyundai and beyond. How important is the branded content offering, particularly now in video in OTT? Are we going to be seeing things like longer form segments created on behalf of brands from Tastemade? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, and the Hyundai example is the ultimate, um, you know, 
articulation of that vision, right? It's four part series, it's 22 minutes long. Um, it has got many derivative assets that are being distributed socially. Um, it is the ultimate kind of, to me, like work that a brand can be doing in this new world and working with a modern media company like Tastemade. Um, think about that. Um, a legacy media company would never build a 22 minute long four part series um, for a brand because A, they're too worried about ratings erosion. Like, is it going to rate? Is an audience going to actually want to see it? B, the cost would be prohibitive for a brand. But when you're a modern media company like Tastemade, um, we think differently about it. We're not reliant on just the television screen and our streaming network. We think holistically about all the platforms that content's going to be on. So whether it's a 22-minute long version of that show or a six-minute piece of mid-form content that's going to be on Facebook or YouTube, we're not thinking about just a rating point on the big screen. We're thinking about the largest audience we can engage across every platform that our consumer wants us to be on. That's to me, the difference. So you are better positioned, I think, to help us really um, examine and answer one of the questions that I know has always like challenged brands as they moved in, move into the, the development of branded content, which is, you know, typically brands are putting, you know, a significant part of their marketing budget aside for media, right? And spending that media across digital and television and whatnot. And then all of a sudden someone comes across their agency, let's say comes across with the notion of doing a branded content campaign or Tastemade comes to them. And there's this production cost in addition to the media expenditure that they have to have. There's this additional production cost that sometimes goes into the deal. Sometimes that's baked into the CPM. And then if the content goes through too many rounds of approvals, right, or isn't quite what audiences are asking for, Right, then sometimes those campaigns just don't get the reach that they need to have. You talked about how the campaigns that, that you design, uh, in addition to, to the core content piece, have a social distribution element to it. I know a lot of the work that we did at Viacom actually looked at the benefit of branded content campaigns in terms of its social distribution. Can you tell us a little bit about the KPIs that you're talking to advertising clients about when they launch a campaign like the one you described with Hyundai, right? And then ultimately how you're helping them think about the return on investment in branded content with you guys. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great question. And, and I think being a, a company that is steeped in our ability and the credibility that we've derived from doing this for many years now, um, I, I think it's, it's our job to continue to evangelize what those benefits are. And Michael, you, you know that these things take time to you know, take root. Um, you know, there's, there's an unfortunate affinity for replicating as opposed to innovating in our business. You know, that, that is a very common refrain, whether people want to say it or not, because we're all so busy. Businesses are challenged. It's, uh, there was an old saying that no one ever got fired for spending more money on Network X. And I'd, I'd like to think that that's actually not true anymore, especially coming out of COVID and everything that is happening around us and, and the shift in media consumption amongst consumers. But, you know, the reality for us is that we look at our campaigns and our branded work um, as not so much a, a media tactic 
and a replacement. You know, um, this has got to be a more holistic approach to engaging consumers. What we encourage marketers to think like is a programmer. So when we sit down with a brand, um, we don't want to be looked at as a vendor. We're not a media vendor. You know, Tastemade is a brand in and of itself. You know, we have the same challenges as any brand does. They might be trying to sell more soap. We're trying to sell more engagement in our brand and our storytelling. So we're a brand. We approach it from common ground and think about what those challenges are to meeting that consumer wherever they are. And that's why we think about the totality of that ecosystem that that consumer resides in. So you might watch your TV for one thing, be on Facebook for another. You get some other enjoyment out of Snap or TikTok. Um, we're thinking about all of those consumer touch points when we're building that brand equity for the client. So whether it be thinking about totality of views, right? Whether it be thinking about totality of engagements and then even drilling down what do those engagements mean? Um, those are important metrics of success and let alone potential attribution, whether it be lower funnel, you know, sell through. So how are you doing in terms of literal sales, foot traffic? Are you just interested in, in brand uplift? Like you just want to understand how your consumer perceives you differently for having been in this environment and creating this kind of content? All of those things we're thinking about to build out the value proposition of not only what we do, but more importantly, helping the client validate their investment. That strikes me as incredibly synergistic, even a lot of the terminology just used. Not only how you think about yourself as a programmer and track levels of engagement across all of these ways, all of the channels in which you're distributing your content, but that strikes me as incredibly synergistic to the same KPIs and the same campaign design that we're seeing from direct-to-consumer brands now, right? And everyone's talking about the impact that they're having on kind of shaking up the marketing industry. When you're going out to market as an ad sales leader, right, are you having a fundamentally different conversation? And do you find that the investment that Tastemade has made, it like has a lot of synergy with these direct-to-consumer brands? I, I think it does. I, I think for those of us who've been around, I kind of laugh a little bit with the, the notion of DTC brands, because those of us who've been in the media space for a long time know that as direct response. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm not making light of it at all. Um, yeah. Some incredible brands have been built over the past five years through DTC means. Um, but, but yes, there, there are synergies, of, of course. Um, it gets back to what I said originally, you know, Michael, which is that I think what has made the DTC brands successful and made them look particularly innovative is that they are solely focused on the consumer, right? They're not, they're not focused on the middleman. They're not focused on servicing a retailer. Like their supply chain is clean and their marketing chain is even cleaner because all they care about is engaging Michael or Jeff directly. They're not concerned about anything else. And that is, that's where, to me, the, the innovation comes from, is just how clean the thinking is. Do you think that, I, and this is a, maybe a, a personal opinion of mine too, um, that the business climate that has changed so dramatically in the last six months due to coronavirus has ultimately made a lot of brands think, rethink supply chain rethink how they engage their consumer 
and almost evolve to, um, and I think about some of the dialogue we're having with organizations like Anheuser-Busch or Diageo, right, whose supply chain has been fundamentally changed. Liquor sales are up and, and, and uh, beer and wine sales are up tremendously during this time, but the supply chain has changed pretty dramatically. Do you think that we're going to see a lot of that direct-to-consumer brand thinking really start to like be, be the thinking of traditional marketers as well? I think so. I, I think so. I, I think I think most brands, where possible, would want to control their supply chain um, and control that funnel more effectively. Um, especially coming out of the COVID crisis that that we're in, um, I, I think that the acute issues that brands have have suffered because of those supply chain issues is going to make them rethink how they're able to literally impact the consumer more directly. Um, it has to because um, the last thing a, a brand wants to deal with is an inability to get product to a consumer, right? That, that's the ultimate failure for any brand is I'm making enough of it, potentially, if you assume, um, but yet there's a breakdown in between my factory and that end consumer, and that, that's lost revenue for anybody. So I think all brands are probably reevaluating you know, whether it be the biggest consumer products brands in the world or autos, you know, everybody's rethinking coming out of, I, I myself, I'll give you an anecdote, um, leased a new car during COVID. Um, and the experience was, depending on the manufacturer, vastly different in how they approached not being able to go to a showroom. And, and the concierge service that certain manufacturers offered and made you feel incredibly engaged and special versus others who you couldn't even find a way to engage them in a conversation about a car because they just didn't even understand what was happening to their business and couldn't pivot quickly. And you were having those uh, conversations direct with like dealerships or with brands or with some of the services that are working across both uh, brands, both. Yeah. Both, both with just calling my local dealerships, whether it be imports or domestic, you know, or dealing with middlemen like Carvana, who was, which is an incredible service I'd never right. even really experienced before. And, you know, very bespoke and concierge-like service, no showrooms. You literally pick a car and they deliver it to you. If you don't like it, you don't have to take it. I mean, it was an unbelievable notion. I couldn't find it because they were literally sold out of every car that I was looking for. But it was a fascinating, like to me, experience. You know, as a car guy, as a consumer, I was blown away by how different that was than dealing with a car dealership. Okay, Jeff, we're going to switch gears here for a sec. We call this uh, the lightning round. And I'm going to read you um, two different options. You tell me what you prefer. Color commentary is invited. Upfront dollars or scatter? I pray for upfront. I live in scatter. Fifteens <laughs> and thirties or interactive ads. All of the above. Whatever our clients need us to be, that's what we want to do. Branded content or product placement. In an ideal world, both. Podcast or audio book. I wish I had time for an audio book, but <laughs> podcast. <laughs> podcast, it is. Netflix or Hulu. Netflix for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. And certainly the number of Emmys they were uh, nominated for recently will back that up. Jeff Rimmerman, truly a leader 
uh, in our space. And uh, congratulations to all the great work that you've done at Tastemade over the last three years and the reaction that you and the team have had over the last six months. It's really worth celebrating. So thanks for being here, Jeff. Michael, it was my pleasure. Thanks again. As part of our commitment to raising awareness on issues of social justice, we've asked all of our guests to comment with their own views, representing their institutions and industry, on what we can do to ensure that advocacy for social justice is kept fresh and loud. At Tastemade, they're showing up where it matters, with several internal and external initiatives. However, there's one initiative in particular that we'd like to take the time to highlight. Make This Tonight is the most watched show on the Tastemade streaming network, reaching more than 700,000 viewers per month across their global distribution footprint. The show is a perfect vehicle to not only support the chef and restaurateur community, but also to introduce them to a passionate streaming television audience who is hungry for mouth-watering recipes with a side of great storytelling. While the show has always been about celebrating worldly cuisines and showcasing diverse chefs from every background, Season eight will feature a talented lineup of all black chefs, creating space for and continuing to offer a platform to an incredibly underrepresented and vital community, especially within the industry of food media. Season eight of Make This Tonight premiered on Thursday, October 15th and features chef Alyssa Reynolds, owner of My Two Cents in LA, chef Greg King, owner of Urban Taco Factory, and chef Rashida Holmes, owner of Bridgetown Roti. Triple Lift applauds this initiative and is honored to call Tastemade a partner. Thank you for listening to Spotless. Be sure to subscribe and come back soon for another conversation about the future of television. For more information, you can connect with us anytime at spotless at triplelift.com.